0: Well, always a privilege to open God's word together as God's people. And this morning we are, as we come to the preaching of God's word, we're continuing to introduce this theme. You can see on the screen here, the theme that we have for this year. For this year, the theme is discipleship in community. Discipleship in community. And this is a continuation, this theme is a continuation and a deepening of what we set out to learn last year and apply. Last year's theme was growing a culture of discipleship. So we want to build on that this year and look at how essential Christian community is in our sanctification, in our discipleship. Again, a needed reminder, especially in our society today that promotes individualism all around us. So if you think back to last week, we began looking at this theme and we focused our attention on the call of being a part of a discipleship community, the call. And we looked at Acts chapter two, where we saw the early church and the kind of community through which unbelievers came to salvation. The kind of Christian community where believers grew in their sanctification. It was a community that found its unity primarily in the gospel, whose bond was the spirit, not some temporal similarity. It was a community that was devoted primarily to God's word, a community that cared deeply for one another. It was also a community that encouraged a bold witness for Christ. Christ. And we drew all of those characteristics from Acts chapter 2 where believers were, I'll pick it up in verse 42, where believers were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Then you see the connection that they had with one another, having all things in common and sharing as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, there's the witness. And breaking bread from house to house, taking meals together with gladness and, and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And then what is the result of this? The Lord was adding to their number. He was fulfilling Matthew 28, the Great Commission, The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And as we saw last week, this kind of discipleship community cannot be achieved or exhausted in a one and a half hour, once per week worship service. It's an impossibility. So this is why we have kicked off our home discipleship groups this last week. And by the way, it's not too late to sign up for those. In fact, I praise the Lord for the response that we've seen over the last six weeks for these groups. We've actually had to add a few more. That's a good thing. It's not too late to join one of those groups. Those groups are designed around these discipleship community principles. Take a step back and ask why. Why are those essential? Why is Acts chapter two so important? Answer, because community is the soil where disciples grow. Because discipleship has been designed by God to be a community effort. We looked at all of that in some detail last week. So it brings us this morning, brings us this morning to Colossians chapter four. Join me there, Colossians chapter four. And again, we're continuing this theme, but we're moving now from the call to a discipleship community to now a picture, a picture of a discipleship community. Community. Colossians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 14. And we turn to this text because this is a passage that opens up to us the Apostle Paul's life. We know Paul, he's that great missionary, he's that leader, he's that church planter. Paul's the strong debater, the strong preacher the unwavering defender of Christianity. He's the hero of many believers, the hero of the faith. We're drawn to him because he's strong. We want to imitate him because he's undeterred in his faith to the very end of his life. And yet... What is sometimes forgotten or maybe just overlooked in Paul's life is that behind all of Paul's faithfulness, behind all of Paul's faithfulness, behind his ministry success, behind his gospel work, his enduring faith, behind all of it was a whole team of fellow believers. Let's call it a community A community of gospel workers and they're relatively unknown people. They're far from household names and yet they were absolutely essential to Paul's legacy, essential to his enduring faithfulness. Paul was no lone ranger, rogue, individualized, podcast-only Christian. Paul knew the weakness of his own flesh. He was well aware of it. Think of Romans 7. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. This is now personal. Nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not Do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want to do. That's a daily struggle that Paul faces. He knew the supernatural enemy who was against him and against all believers. He was very well aware of that. Ephesians 6, again, this is personal, for our struggle. Paul's not above the fray here. Our struggle, all believers, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of weakness in the heavenly places. It's so easy to think of the Christian life as a tea party. Paul's saying it's a war, a spiritual battle. This is why, look at Colossians 4 too, this is why... Paul knew his constant need of prayer from others. Colossians 4:2, devote yourselves to prayer, he writes. Verse three, praying at all time for us. Again, this is personal. Ephesians 6, this is repeated. Pray on my behalf. 1 Thessalonians 5, brethren, pray for us. I need you. I need your prayers. Paul knew that he could not live his Christian life alone. One commentator wrote this, his nature demanded the solace of companionship. We don't think about that with Paul very often. This is why Paul uses the phrase one another 27 times throughout his letters. 27 times calling for the one another's Devotion and care and love, concern. Why? Because he knows full well the rogue Christian falters, the lone Christian fails. Paul knew Galatians 6, the need to have others carry his burdens. He knew Hebrews 10, the need to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So he knew his need for community, his need for others, which is exactly what we see in these final verses in this letter to the Colossians, where Paul gets very personal here, and he gives us a snapshot of the group that was so influential in his life, influential to his own faithfulness. So again, let's put it in the words of our 2023 Theme. Here's a picture of Paul's discipleship community. Here's a group of men who undergirded his gospel work, men who bore Paul's burdens, men who prayed for his faithfulness and encouraged him to love and good deeds. Let's read the text Sit in our minds this morning. Start in verse 7. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings and also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. And, watch this now, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you, for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis, Luke. The beloved physician sends you his greetings and also Demas. And you can stop there. You can see how personal this is. The principle is this for every faithful Christian, for every Paul, for every faithful Christian, there is a community of believers that surround him. It's the same principle from last week, just in different words. Discipleship, our sanctification in the Lord has been designed by God to be a community effort. It's the same principle here. For every faithful Christian, there is a community of believers that surround him. And notice the diversity of this group of men who surrounded Paul. These are men of different ages. Men of different social statuses. We read of Luke. He's the physician. But then you have the slave, Onesimus, mentioned in verse 9. There's the men of different heritages. Aristarchus, justice. They were Jews. Epaphras, he's a Gentile. There's the men of different backgrounds. You see John Mark mentioned in verse 10. He's the one who previously failed Paul. And yet, you also have Luke mentioned here. He's the one who stayed with Paul to the very end. There's different personalities. You have a quiet demeanor of justice. He's mentioned only in verse 11, in all the New Testament, only here. And then you have Luke. He liked to write. He wrote two of the longest books in the New Testament. Without the support of this diverse group of men, this community... Paul's ministry would not have been what it ended up becoming, and his life of faithfulness would have suffered. So what I want to do this morning is just simply look at some of these men Paul mentions here. Can't look at all of them, it can't even be in-depth as I would like it to be, but we'll look at six of them, we'll draw application from them. We can see here the kind of people we need in our lives. We're united in Christ through faith. Yet in turn, we're united to one another because we're all in Christ. These are the kind of people we need in our lives if we are going to grow in our Christ-likeness. These are the kind of people we need to be in the lives of others as we encourage them in their spiritual growth. Again, this is a picture, a snapshot of what a discipleship community looks like. Let's begin with Tychicus. Tychicus, he's an example of the encouraging voice we each need, the encouraging voice. Let's look at verse seven here, as to all my affairs. Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord will bring you information For I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may, here's the key phrase, that he may encourage your hearts. That word encourage here, parakaleo, to call alongside, to comfort, to strengthen, to summon someone to yourself because you're in need of help. the idea of being the one who comes to someone's aid, giving the help, the assistance, the support they need. It's the idea of holding them up, of reinforcing their faith by your presence, bearing the weight of their burdens on their behalf. It's one word here, but really it's what we saw take place in Acts 2, The early church provided for anyone that had need. They supported, they helped, assisted. So Paul sends Tychicus to encourage, support these Colossian believers. The question though is why did Paul send Tychicus to do this? Why this man? Well, the answer is because Tychicus was the man who encouraged Paul at some of the lowest points in his life. He experienced this encouragement and so he sends this man to the Colossians. When you follow the story of Paul's journey in Acts, here's what you find. You find Tychicus was one of Paul's companions. You find him mentioned in Acts chapter 20, verse four. And he was someone who was with Paul at some of Paul's darkest hours. And yet Tychicus's love for Paul did not waver, his faithfulness, commitment to Paul did not falter. So again Paul then, having been encouraged by this man, sends this man to encourage the Colossian church, to do for the Colossians what Tychicus did for him. And notice Tychicus did not offer superficial encouragement, he was not sent to say, everything's going to just be fine. You know, don't worry, be happy, everything's great. No, notice verse 8. He's sent to strengthen the Colossians' hearts, the, the mission control center of their life, to strengthen the very sea of their faith, their belief, their assurance, assurance in their Savior sent to bring the encouragement, that would relieve their anxiety, that would assure them of God's faithfulness, God's love, His sovereignty, his goodness. And I wish that we could go into more depth in, on all of these men, but this is the encourager we all need in our Christian walk. This is the one who undergirds our faith when we are struggling the one who comes alongside us to fortify us so that we're able to finish the course well. Tychicus here is that living example of who we need in our lives, who we are to be for one another. This is the one who encourages one another. First Thessalonians 5, encourages one another, and that's a command, by the way, present tense, continually does this. This is the pattern of our life. It builds up one another, is that constant blessing, not a detriment to others in the faith. By the way, with all of the one another commands, you will never find the command to humble one another. So if you think you have the spiritual gift of humbling other people, that's not, well, it's not the right spiritual gift, okay? Encourage one another. Build up. I had somebody in Massachusetts come up to me and says, "Patrick, I have the spiritual gift of humbling you. Like, you're getting a letter from the elders next week," um, and he was the best friend I had in Massachusetts. All right. Anyway, it's a rough place. Hebrews chapter ten, same deal, same deal. Hebrews ten twenty five. Tychicus takes this seriously to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encourage, build up, be that support. No matter how strong you think you might be in your Christian walk, no matter how strong you might think yourself to be, you need to be strengthened. And you need to be supported and fortified in your faith. You need a Tychicus in your life. You need someone who knows your concerns. You need a believer you can call to your side when all hope seems lost. You need someone who will bring you to God's word for answers. Who Will not give you superficial encouragement but will strengthen your heart. Again, behind every faithful Christian there's a community of believers that surround him. Second, here's another man Paul mentions as part of his gospel team. Verse 10, Aristarchus. Aristarchus. If Tychicus is the encouraging voice we need, then Aristarchus is the resilient spirit we need in our lives. The resilient spirit, the one who maintains an unwavering dedication to the gospel, even in the midst of pain and pressure, Notice how Paul describes this man Aristarchus. Paul says he is my fellow prisoner. My fellow prisoner. Paul could have called Aristarchus anything. Could have called him beloved brother, or faithful servant, or fellow slave. That's what he used to describe Tychicus. But above any of those descriptions, Aristarchus was best known to Paul in persecution language. He's the fellow prisoner. And this is a word used strictly of one taken as a captive in war. Literally, one who is caught with a spear. Translate it as my prisoner. Of war, and remember the setting. Paul is in prison, and now Aristarchus is with him. Each time Aristarchus is mentioned in the New Testament, five times, by the way, he's mentioned. Each time, it is always in the context of gospel trial and difficulty and pain. Always. Each of the five times. I want to give you one example. It will be on the screen. You can turn there, though. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, notice one of these examples where Aristarchus is mentioned. This is when he first comes on the scene. You have here in this chapter, Paul and Aristarchus in the city of Ephesus together. Ephesus being a place of gross idolatry, demonic activity, a place of magician sorcery. This is the home of the goddess Diana's temple, one of the seven wonders of the world during that time. And so verse 23, it's not surprising, Paul's preaching stirs something within the people in the city. Verse 23, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. And what is this disturbance? Well, verse 24, a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines to Artemis, Another name for Diana was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. He's supplying all the idols they need to be sold. Yet now, with Paul proclaiming this exclusive way, this gospel of Christ, he's calling the Ephesians to denounce Diana and their idolatry. See that in verse 20. The word of the Lord is growing mightily and prevailing. So Demetrius goes on the offensive. Verse 25, he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours falls into disrepute, that's the fear. Christ's gospel is putting an end to this idol-making industry. That's the fear here. But also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis would be regarded as worthless And that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence, common vernacular, the tourists won't come to our town anymore. We'll have nothing to offer them. We'll lose our riches, our renown. So verse 28, when they, the other idle craftsmen, the sellers heard this, they were filled with rage. Rage and began crying out saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They're taking a stand against Paul, against Christ's gospel. And thus the city was filled with confusion, chaos breaks out, hatred, anger, they're running rampant. And they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and, what's the next name? Aristarchus. They drag him now into the theater, And it says Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. So gather the scene, see it. Dragging here means to seize by violence. To be caught with no way of escape. It's the first time Aristarchus is mentioned in the New Testament right here. And what is he doing? He's taking a stand for the exclusivity of Christ's cross. The way, the only way. And because of that commitment, he's dragged away by a furious, hateful crowd. Look at verse 30. How severe was this mob? So severe, verse 30, Paul wanted to go into the assembly, yet the disciples would not let him. They're holding him back. Verse 31, they repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. Why? It could mean his death. Yet notice this riot did not deter Aristarchus' commitment to the gospel. He was resilient in his spirit. He was unwavering in his devotion to his Lord. Drop down to chapter 20. Verse 1, the mob dies down. Verse 20, after the uproar had ceased, Paul left to go to Macedonia. And he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation. He came to Greece and there he spent three months. And this will always happens with Paul. Trouble follows him. When a plot was formed against him by the Jews, a plot for Paul's death, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Again, gospel persecution, gospel rage. But notice verse four who was with Paul during this time. He was accompanied by Sopater of Berea and by, next name, Aristarchus. And then you can even drop down and see that Tychicus is there as well. This is Paul's community of believers. And here in Acts 20, this is the second time Aristarchus is mentioned again. It's in the context of gospel persecution, gospel difficulty. Yet what was true in Acts 19 is true in Acts 20. Aristarchus remains undaunted. He does not leave Paul. He stays the gospel course. You can add more snippets of this man's life, but each of those will fall into the context of faithfulness. Faithfulness in the midst of pain. Resiliency in the midst of persecution. Persecution. So look back at Colossians chapter four. This is why Paul, speaking of Aristarchus, he says, he is my fellow prisoner. Above all, he's my fellow prisoner. He's with me in prison. And yet even in chains, what does Aristarchus send the Colossians? Verse 10, he sends you his what? His greetings, his joy. He sends you his encouragement. He sends you his own testimony of faithfulness. This is the brother or sister in Christ we need. The one who is a constant reminder to remain strong in the faith. The one who by his very life reminds us to not let go of the gospel. The one who by his daily testimony reminds us to not be ashamed of Christ. One by his actions reminds us to live for eternal rewards. Not the ease of this life. I don't know about you, I need Aristarchuses in my life. I need those people. I need resilient spirits around me, unashamed Christians encouraging me. I need that kind of community. Third. Third, here's another friend of Paul. Verse 10, Barnabas's cousin, Mark. And Paul writes, if he comes to you, welcome him. Here's John Mark. Let's call him the reminder of God's grace. The reminder of God's grace. And it's interesting here, you have Aristarchus, the faithful who's mentioned now alongside John Mark. Interesting because John Mark was the man who left Paul. And the gospel pressure became too much for him. Listen to Acts 13. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John, John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. He leaves this missionary journey. Now Acts 15 uses even stronger language. Looking back, here's Acts 15, 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now this note in verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But, here's the shift, but, Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had Strong word. Deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them on their work. It's a strong word there. So you have, in contrast, unmistakable. Aristarchus remained with Paul through thick or thin. Mark deserts him when the going gets tough. Aristarchus was resilient. Mark was cowardly. Aristarchus was fearless. Mark was fearful. Aristarchus was loyal to the point of being imprisoned with Paul. Mark was disloyal to the point of traveling back home. It's a contrast. But now in Colossians 4, we read, if he, John Mark, comes to you. This is now 10 years after Mark's desertion. 10 years later, and Paul tells this Colossian church, welcome him, welcome him. There was repentance on Mark's end and there was restoration between him and Paul. This is wonderful to see. In fact, I love this. Paul even says in 2 Timothy 4, speaking to Timothy just weeks before Paul's death, he says, pick up Mark, pick up Mark, and bring him with you, why? Here's why, for he is useful to me for service. He was once a liability, but not anymore. It's repentance, there's reconciliation. Paul considers Mark valuable here. In fact, this fearful man became the man God chose to write the second gospel in our Bible, the gospel of Mark. And again, to bring application for us, we need repentant believers like John Mark in our lives. We need living testimonies of God's grace, his forgiveness. We need John Mark to remind us that the Lord is always willing to welcome the repentant. Believers who point us to God's grace because here's the temptation, you choose sin And then you try to hide it and you don't go to the Lord for forgiveness. If I can just wait long enough, the feeling of guilt would subside. I don't need to go to the Lord in prayer. We need those John Marks who remind us, go to the Lord in confession. Remember God's grace. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ to bring us sometimes, to bring us to the throne of God's gracious forgiveness. Number four, fourth member of Paul's Christian community here. Jesus, Justice. Let's call him the humble helper. There's not much written about him, the humble helper that we all need in our lives. We see him mentioned in verse eleven, but that's it. Like I said, that's it. This is the only place in the New Testament where he's mentioned. So he's just a humble helper. Humble helper. He was there for Paul. For whatever Paul needed. He was actually in prison with Paul when he wrote this letter. It says something about this man. He's seeking no recognition for himself. He's not with Paul saying, hey, make, uh, write a little bit more about me, right? Again, he's just there to help in any way that he could. And yet, what does Paul say of these last three men, Aristarchus, John, Mark, and Justice in verse 11? Notice, he says, they proved to be an encouragement. Different word than what was used in verse eight. They proved to be an encouragement, a comfort, a relief, a reassurance to me. These three men are examples of that reassuring believer, that burden-carrying believer we need And then there's two more that we'll mention here, two more men who are part of Paul's community. There's Epaphras. Epaphras, he's the faithful intercessor. The faithful intercessor. Verse 12, Epaphras, the one who is always laboring earnestly in his prayers, prayers here, Prasuke. petitionary prayer. This is prayer asking God to act. This is intercessory prayer asking God to act within the lives of someone else. Epaphras approaching the throne of God's grace not for himself but for others. Again, this is so needed by each and every one of us. If you don't think you need someone interceding for you If you think you have the strength in and of yourselves to maintain a life of holiness, you're deceived. Or you're blinded by your own pride. And you will fail if you haven't already, you will fail. The enemy is too cunning, too cunning. Our flesh is too persistent. The world system is too active to think that we can maintain a life of holiness alone in our own strength. And we see this in Paul's letter. We read verse 12 in Ephesians six earlier. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then he says, put on what? Put on the armor of God, but don't stop there. Verse 18, after you put on the armor of God, verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for who? For all the saints. So yes, put on the armor of God, but lift one another up in prayer. We need this. Notice the prayer life that is mentioned here prayer life of always laboring earnestly, always laboring earnestly. The Greek word is similar to our English word agonize. It's similar, it sounds the same. Some translations, wrestling or striving or struggling. Always showing the persistence and the commitment of this man. And we said it before, but nobody's dressing up like a Epaphras for a wanna dress up Bible character, dress up night. And yet he's so essential to the Apostle Paul's faithfulness in his gospel work. Here's a Epaphras going to war for the perseverance of his brothers and sisters in Christ. He knew what was at stake. He knew the difficulty of their spiritual battle And so, verse 12, he always labored in his prayers that these Colossians might, what? Stand perfect. There's a request. Stand perfect, mature, and fully assured in all the will of God. I'm praying for your perseverance. I'm praying for your gospel loyalty. I'm praying for your unwavering conviction for Christ. Do you need... Believers praying like that for you? If that's the case, then pray like that for other believers. We need faithful intercessors. And then there's one more name just to look at here. This is Luke, we know him well. Luke, he's Paul's loyal friend. He's Paul's loyal friend. Luke's the man, perhaps more than any other for Paul who lived out Proverbs 17, he was a friend who always showed his love. He lived out Proverbs 18, he was a friend who remained more loyal than even a brother. Look at the name that's mentioned next. You have Luke, the beloved physician, send you his greetings, but then you have the name Demas. Well, Demas is the one who will completely abandon the gospel altogether later but here's Luke who is a constant support he is a source of Christian love and selfless care for Paul he drew near to Paul when trouble arose he was there when crisis after crisis fell upon Paul he was there he was the loyal friend and we need these friends we need those who will support us Always. The one who is there to encourage us when the issues of life overwhelm us. We need a friend who has a relationship with us to speak truth when we're in sin. We need that. We need a Christian brother or sister in Christ who is able to build us up when our faith is waning. We need one who is not afraid to say the hard things, to give righteous counsel because he's not fearful of being rejected by us, cast aside. We need someone who has a closeness to us and is thus able to live out the one another's in our life, one who is devoted to us in brotherly love, a Christian friend who will accept us despite our failure of being let down or being let down. We need that friend who is able to admonish us, warn us, instruct us. One who is able to speak truth to us, one who is kind to us, tenderhearted and forgiving. We need that Christian confidant, that Christian loyal friend who bears with us, endures discomfort with us, who does not write us off when the going gets tough. A friend who is able to confess his sins to us and in turn, the one we can confess our sins to, that's James chapter five. Which means we need those relationships that are so transparent, we're not afraid to be held accountable. Not afraid to confess and admit our failure. Why? Because that person is a Christian friend who sticks closer than even a natural brother. And on and on you can go with that list. Again, the need to be, to be, and to have a loyal friend in the faith. It is so essential when it comes to the Christian life. Why? Because the Christian life cannot be lived in isolation. Luke's mention at the end of Paul's life. Here in verse 14, he's referred to as beloved, can understand why. He's beloved, cared for. He's mentioned at the end of Paul's life though in 2 Timothy chapter four. So again, the context, Paul's in prison. He will not be released. He will be killed, executed just a short amount of time. And Paul writes this, only Luke is with me. It's an amazing statement. Only Luke is with me. And I think it is because of Luke that Paul could also write before that, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. What is one reason for that? It's because Luke is with me. He's the faithful friend. The point is this, the point of all of this this is this, the Christian life was never intended to be lived alone. From the start of the church in Acts 2 through the end of Paul's life. Again, the principle we need one another. We're united in Christ, we're united together, we need one another. And so I'll end with the same four questions I ended with last week. Question number one Do you recognize your need for a discipleship community? Do you recognize your need for that kind of community? Question number two, more personal. Are you willing to be a part of the discipleship community here at EBC? It's one thing to recognize it, it's another thing to actually be a part of that. So are you willing to be a part of that kind of discipleship community? And then if you are, question number three, what specific steps will you take? What steps? What actions? Question number four. If you're not willing to be a part of that kind of community, if you feel that Christian community is a necessary for your Christian life, here's the question, why is that? Let's ask it differently. What does that tell you about your own heart? What does that tell you about your own heart? These are necessary questions to answer. Why? Because for every faithful Christian, for every faithful Christian, there is a community of believers who surround them. What is that community that you have? Who are those people? Father, I thank you that when you call us out of sin and out of this world, you call us into a family. You call us to yourself. You call us to be a people, a group together, living that life of holiness. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us as a church for emphasizing perhaps the individualism that we see in this world. Forgive us, Lord, for pride in our hearts, thinking we don't need others, that we have the Christian life solved in and of ourselves, And grant us, Lord, a love for you that overflows into a love for one another in a humble heart, not only willing to recognize, but then take action to be a part of this community that we need, that you call us to. So give us that conviction, that repentance, that forgiveness we need, and that obedience to you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.